Article 8. Remnant youth stand in defense of historic Christianity and of a biblicist systematic theology by Richard Hawthorne. Unequivocally, the youth of the remnant affirm that the theology of our forebears was both correct and exceptional, and we express our gratitude towards God for bequeathing to us a doctrine more logical and more adherent to Scripture than any other which Western man has laid his eyes upon. We acknowledge that it is that of historic Christianity complemented by the discoveries of Adam Kine at the height of Western civilization. It is the best of the apostolic tradition rounded out by the biblical, classical, and archaeological sources which beyond a shadow of a doubt confirm the veracity of the Anglo-Israel thesis. We reject the current fad of discarding everything inherited from our forefathers. What we now hold were products of holier ages produced by holier men, and though we may not understand all of it yet, we will display our maturity by esteeming it as though we do. In our time of mass evil, if we can at least receive, preserve, and pass on the inherited message, then we should be quite proud of ourselves. We will have accomplished what everyone around us couldn't, and we should be prepared to receive the rewards for such a righteous feat. We are not wise yet, but we at least possess the proper respect for our received catechismal tenets hammered out over the years, hammered out through blood, through sweat, and through tears. Culminating from the endpoint of where the remnant now stands theologically, let's begin with Paul, first examining his missionary work. Paul made four missionary journeys, all in the same direction, north and west. What's north and west of Jerusalem? Paul's base camp of operations? Europe. Thus, Paul knew the exclusionary nature of the gospel message. You see, if Paul believed the gospel to be universal and wanted to be the most efficient in his time spent traveling, he would have gone southeast of Judah to Ishmael, to the kingdom of the Nabataean Arabs. As we all know, this did not transpire. And it wasn't by accident either. Moreover, in Romans 15.24, we learn Paul even wanted to go to Spain. Yes, Spain thousands of miles away from Jerusalem. Thus, we see how important it was to Paul for him to find legitimate heirs of the covenant. Regarding the apostles, consider their works. In James 1.1, James specified the scope of his epistle writing to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. Consider Peter in his first epistle, in the ninth verse of the second chapter. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Again, Peter's target audience is undoubtedly limited. If there is a chosen generation, then there must be an unchosen generation. If there is a royal priesthood, then there must be those that are the inverse. If there is a holy nation, then there must be an unholy nation. If there is a peculiar people, then there must be those that are nothing special. Now do you see why Esau Edom emphasizes equality so much? 
Consider Paul once more in Acts 26, verse 6-7. And now I stand, and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews, i.e. Edomite Judeans. The apostles did their missionary work for the twelve tribes. And where do we find apostolic Christianity? Europe. Thus, another argument for the twelve tribes being found in Europe can be made. All of these verses are in total harmony with Christ's stated purpose for his mission on earth found in Matthew 15, verse 24. Let's investigate this European Christianity. What did the apostles leave behind? What became of it? Was it all good? Was it all bad? The answer is not so simple. Leading remnant scholars say the pure doctrine which the apostles left soon was imperfected. It is beyond the boundaries of this article to discuss the elements of what could be termed proto-Israel identity. Among the anti-Nicene fathers, but it is there, though imperfectly. This imperfection was inevitable and unavoidable. After all, we are not in the kingdom yet. However, to dismiss everything the early Christians did would be wrong. The early Christians left us several creeds which have stood the test of time and which remnant Christians should retain. Consider the Nicene Creed. It was developed by genuine Christians living much closer to apostolic Christianity than we are. They believed in the Trinity, and all mainstream Christian denominations have sense. Similar arguments could be made for the Apostles' Creed and the Athanasian Creed, too. The epitome of this required nuance could be found in the person of Constantine. Constantine, the Roman Emperor, was both righteous and wicked. He convened the council at Nicaea, which birthed the Nicene Creed, and he ended the mass slaughter of Christians. But he also mixed Roman paganism with biblical Christianity, among other wrongdoings. See Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. From this, the highly flawed Roman Catholic Church was born. More than a millennium later, the Protestant reformers would challenge the error-ridden dogma of the Roman Catholic Church. Every Protestant knows Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Moreover, by the time of the Reformers, the Roman Catholic Church was preventing the Bible from being published in vernacular tongues. Thanks to the Reformers, we are able to read the Holy Scripture in our own tongue. Consider another error of the Roman Catholic Church, that of its position of Arminianism. A gross oversimplification of Arminianism would be that man can be an initiator in the obtainment of salvation. Contrast that with the biblically-based Calvinist position that salvation issues from God alone. We remnant youth should esteem formers like John Huss, Martin Luther, and John Calvin to be heroes of our Israelite people. They and other Protestants also left us several confessions highly relevant to Israelite believers today. These include the Augsburg Confession and Westminster Confession, among others. These Protestants brought us far along that they should be honored today. Yet, 
where there is a chink in the armor of the armor of God, the devil will exploit it. Today, the denominations bearing the names of these great men are filled with illegitimate interlopers and counterfeit Christians. Thus, lest the Bible be preached to the unclean, a need developed for the clarification of the question of for whom and about whom is the Bible concerned. In the nick of time came the Israel message. Through archaeological discoveries, a re-examination of classical sources, a tracing of the movement of peoples, a review of apocryphal and canonical scripture, and a biological understanding of those with whom we share the earth, Englishmen were able to develop the Anglo-Israel thesis. This understanding was further perfected by Americans who identified the race that is so antagonistic toward God and Adam-Man, the race warned about in Genesis 3.15, John 8.44, 1 John 3.11 and 12, and Revelation 12.17, among other verses, it's a winding and tiresome road to this understanding. But the most difficult and important task still is unaccomplished, that of assembling those of this belief into churches. Applying our theological march through the ages to the present day, it's tremendously unfortunate that there are still some believers refusing to accept these basic points of our Christian tradition. Identifying potential con converts, there are 80 million Trump supporters searching for the truth as to why their world has gone topsy-turvy. When given our shot, if we don't immediately reply with, we, genetic Israel, are being punished for idolatry and wickedness, then we have failed them. There are multitudes starving for the truth, and it is our duty before God to provide it to them. Imagine if they come to us for the truth, and instead we start getting into the weeds on whether the flood may have actually been local. Put simply, we just don't have the time for this. The year is 2023. The stakes are too high. We have as perfect a catechism as we will get this side of heaven, and we remnant youth know it. Therefore, we will not participate in a pseudo-intellectual game of constantly reevaluating and re-scrutinizing everything until we have confidence in nothing. Generation Z of the remnant will not do this. Instead, we will cherish the treasure which God hath delivered into our hands, marrying young, living separate, and developing in alternative culture. We will exceed all expectations. Where our fathers had six children, we will have twelve. Where our fathers plowed one hundred acres, we will plow two hundred. We will run the race, and we will win. All this will happen through a total devotion to the word of our Lord Jehovah God. Concluding, it is indeed tedious trekking through these points, but we can now see how Christian Israel theology is the culmination of 2,500 years of Western civilization tradition. 2,000 years of Christian tradition, and can be traced back even further to the faith of our Hebraic Israelite patriarch ancestors millennia ago. Have you observed the progression of the doctrine? Do you see how only in our present day could we have present understanding? Make no mistake about it, the Christian Israel theological system will be the understanding in the world to come. The harsh lessons we are learning today are not all for naught. Remnant youth understand this historical progression, embrace historic Christianity as our possession, 
and will attempt to bring as many of our kin into understanding before that final hour is come. Jeremiah 6, 16 reads, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls.